Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. So this episode is specifically for anyone who is interested in nutrition um, and really just the science of how we're supposed to eat. So today's guest is Mia Rigdon, who is a certified nutritionist, and I've admired her for years. She's worked with a lot of my friends who are high profile founders and creators and just has an incredible reputation. And she just released a cookbook, which I really, really like. So I'm really excited to bring in this conversation. And we went so in depth into nutrition. I couldn't believe like how quickly time had passed. So some of the things that you can look forward to learning about is regulating blood glucose levels, which is something I'm very passionate about because as soon as I figured out how to do this, I feel like it completely changed the game for me because blood glucose levels are tied to everything from mood to cravings to snacking to how much we're eating at meals. So that's a big topic of conversation. We also chatted about protein. We talked about combating stressors intermittent fasting, sweet tooth, sleep, like there's so much in there. And of course, I know that this is a hot topic. And so we touched on all things Ozempic as well. And I think Mia has a very interesting standpoint, which I'm really excited to share with you guys. Before we dive into the episode, I want to bring you guys this week's review, which comes to us from Bailey E. And they say, blown away. Dr. Mindy Pals was absolutely mind-blowing. I immediately talked to my clients about this podcast after listening. So eye-opening. Thank you so much for leaving this review, Bailey. I really appreciate it. And you guys, I have to agree with Bailey. This episode with Dr. Mindy Pals was absolutely one of my favorite episodes. It's all about intermittent fasting specifically for women. So if you haven't listened to this episode, go give it a listen. But if you do have a couple of minutes and want to support the show, please, please leave a rating and a review. All you have to do is open up the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show in the rating section. If you feel like I've earned it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, tell me anything you want me to hear. Honestly, this is what helps me show up as a host that continuously brings you value. So if you have suggestions on specific topics you want to hear about, specific guests, guests you've loved from the past, topics you've loved from the past, anything you give me really, really helps me continue to improve for you guys, which is what I really want to do. All right. With that, let's welcome Mia to the Dream Bigger podcast. So the first thing I want to get into is 
What's the number one big issue that you see when women specifically come to see you as clients? Sleep and energy. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Like, what, like what is happening with everyone's sleep and energy levels? I think it's a combination of things. But what I find is that almost ubiquitously, people mm-hmm. are under-eating protein, especially at breakfast. And mm-hmm. so what happens is that we just don't have, like, optimal fuel and energy levels to get through the day. So sometimes like, especially like if you start the day on the back foot, like you didn't sleep well, then we're like so reliant on stimulants. We're over caffeinating. We're craving more sugar and carbohydrate rich foods because we're tired and we're trying to, you know, just have energy to sustain. I mean, that's a natural reaction to being tired is that you're going to crave foods and beverages or substances that are going to perk you up a little bit. So that's caffeine and sugar it's carbohydrates and then we kind of get on this roller coaster all day and then at the end of the day we're kind of hopped up on all the stimulants but then simultaneously exhausted and that's the like getting home from work or whatever putting the kids down to bed and be like oh i need a glass of wine and Mm -hmm. so then (laughs) comes a glass of wine and then comes you know or two or three depending on the person And then, you know, your sleep is disrupted. And so it becomes this like hamster wheel. People don't realize how much sleep impacts, like Mm. even just our hunger hormones, like ghrelin and leptin. And even, I I mean, I notice it with myself on days where I've gotten like less sleep than usual. I'm like reaching for things I wouldn't normally reach Mm -hmm. for. I'm just exhausted and I don't know, like I'm trying to comfort myself with foods that won't necessarily nourish me. And then you just like get put on this like hamster wheel, like you're saying. Totally, totally. I mean, I think that sleep is so critical. You know, nutrition, I'm always telling my clients and, you know, nutrition is so much more than what we eat because we have to think about like the what and the why of what of the food choices that we make. And, you know, and it's really about setting ourselves up for success. And so if you're tired, it's just going to be an uphill battle all day. It's really hard to make the decisions that you know are going to be, you know, most productive or, you know, best for you when you're not feeling <laughs> your best. And also, you don't might not have the motivation to take the extra 10 minutes and make the smoothie and clean the blender or get, you know, get your workout in when you're in a little bit more of survival mode Mm -hmm. because you've got a lot of things to do during the day. And it's like, I just need to do these things. Today's right now is not the time when I can, you know, do all those other things that I know are good for me. And then what I find happens is that people feel badly about themselves because they can't meet their expectations of like, you know, what it means to be healthy or Mm -hmm. to be well, especially since, you know, wellness is such a trend these days is that then they feel like they go on social media and they're like, oh, look at that woman. Like she's able to do that. I'm like, why can't I? And I think the it's comparison just, game. it's very negative. Yeah. A hundred percent. So if someone comes to you and they're like, Mia, my sleep is in shambles. I have no energy. What is a good jumping point for you? Like how do you even course correct? Like let's go back to mm-hmm. basics. I think starting at breakfast is a really great place. Like we have to break the chain somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out where we're going to do that. And so what I always try and do with my clients, and I specialize in personalized nutrition. The way that I think about this, I'm a board certified nutritionist, which is the, you know, as far as a nutritionist is concerned, is like the highest credential that you can get. And I'm very, very passionate about the science and looking 
at the science and someone's clinical needs. But what's really important to understand is that there is like a real human being behind the lab work and behind the nutrition science. And so we have to make sure that we're being practical and pragmatic about our approach to things. And so I always try, you know, in my one-on-one coaching and you know, if you've read my book, you'll see that that's a big part of my philosophy. It's like we have to find foods and routines that are really going to work for the person. And so I will never I don't view my role as a nutritionist to dictate this is what you should do. Like I'm not dogmatic. Like, only you know your body <laughs> and I'm not a mind reader. And so we have to work together. You have to use the science and your understanding of your body and be realistic about what's available for you in your life, what you can actually do to find routines that work. And so I always like to give people, you know, five or six different breakfast options. Like we need to have the option for the mornings when we have no time. We are running out the door. This is to avoid going to Starbucks and getting a muffin because you're starving and you didn't get anything. So like, let's pre-plan like, what is that option? And I always operate off of a good, better, best mentality. Sometimes you just have to make the best decision for the moment that you're in and feel really great that you made that. It might not be some like, you know, ridiculously beautiful thing that you prepared from the farmer's market, but you were able to make a good decision given your circumstance. So, you know, I like to give people a breadth of options, whether it's something for on the go, something for when you have a little bit more time, something for a Sunday morning when you want to make a big breakfast and like do a big thing with it. Because I think when we have options, when we understand how that affects our body and how it makes us feel, then it becomes easier to choose it, not because that's the good thing to do, but because that's what you want, because you like it, it's convenient, it's easy, and, you know, it tastes good and you like the way it makes you feel. So give us some examples, like someone Mm -hmm. like I'm coming to you or like my friend is coming to you, like give me like a few options for breakfast, which is like one on the go, one a little bit more elaborate and one just Mm -hmm. like regular. Well, I love a smoothie. Smoothies are great, you know, but then you got to budget the time to make it and clean the blender. There's certainly I find that I cannot tell you how many clients I've had that are embarrassed to tell me that their barrier to making smoothies is cleaning the blender. And I totally get it. Sometimes I'll tell people to like pre-make like on Sunday or even once a month or twice a month, you can put all of your smoothie ingredients minus the, you know, milk and the protein powder into individual bags and keep them in the freezer. So it's more of like a dump and pour type of situation. So I do love smoothies. I think eggs are great. Wait, first smoothie. What like, how do you construct the smoothie? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, smoothie is like a loose term for someone who doesn't really yep. know, right? Absolutely. So they could just be loading this thing up with like mm-hmm. all kinds of fruit, 100%. no protein, no fiber. So I just yeah. want you to get into like very specifics of what is a good smoothie. Yeah. So I'm really big on blood sugar balancing. I Love. find in my personal life and also with my pra- in my practice, I find that just following the principles of building uh, you know, well-balanced meals really transforms the way people feel, their results, their health, so their sleep, stress levels, so many things. So any meal that I'm making, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, that's always something that we are keeping in mind. So when it comes to a smoothie, you're absolutely right. Like you can go to Erewhon and have like a sugar bomb smoothie that's made with all organic ingredients, you know, and you're going to be hungry an hour and a half later. So, you know, I like to keep the fruit to like a quarter or a half of a cup. 
And then always using a protein powder, trying to get somewhere between 20 and 25 grams protein. So, you know, most protein powders will be like right there around 20 grams. And then maybe you're adding some flax seeds or some chia seeds or some nuts or something like that that like add a few extra grams of protein. So we've got our protein, we've got our fiber source, which is maybe, you know, some chia seeds, some flax seeds, something like that. We're going to add some veg, like a serving of vegetables in. Maybe that's like frozen cauliflower rice is really is easy. Is that like a cup, like half a cup? What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, like I just say like a generous handful. Okay. Yeah. Half a cup is a good serving size. So maybe it's a handful of greens. Maybe that's some frozen cauliflower rice. We want to make sure we get a healthy fat in there. I love avocado in my smoothies. I just find it gives it that like really nice. I like to eat my smoothies with a spoon, like that nice creamy texture. So I'll do like about a quarter of an avocado. Sometimes like even my little hack is that when the avocados are ripe, cut them, quarter them and freeze them. Smart. So you're not throwing out your avocados. And then that's like really great for smoothies. And then so we've got your protein, your fiber, your fat, you know, any extras as far as like, I don't know if you want to put cinnamon in there or some fruit or cacao nibs, like which also have some fiber in it. And then of course your milk. I use a non-dairy, unsweetened non-dairy milk. What's your favorite protein powder brand? I like Primal Kitchen's Collagen Fuel, the mm-hmm. vanilla. I find some I, it has 10 grams of protein or maybe 11. So I use two scoops of it. I find some of the, and this, I find protein powder to be a personal preference. Yeah. Because there are actually a lot of good ones on the market. Some of the pea protein powders are too chalky in taste for me and like a little too sweet. Same. So I have like really found my groove with the Primal Kitchen one. So that's my favorite. I am always looking for new, innovative, amazing brands to support. And so I'm really excited to talk to you guys about Ember Wellness. So with Ember Wellness, the innovation is in what they've taken away. All their products are made from a low number of ingredients. So the ingredients that are in there are at a high concentration. So you really get the maximum value from them. They're also radically transparent by showing the complete ingredient list, including the percentages of every single ingredient. And the best part is that they don't use any fillers, alcohol, and all their products are sustainably sourced organic and made in Quebec, Canada. As a Canadian entrepreneur myself, I'm always looking to support other Canadian female founders, especially. And so I'm really excited to be partnering with Ember Wellness. So Ember has five different sustainably sourced facial oils and hydrosols created for different skin concerns. Facial oils are made from just two plant-based oils, and the hydrosols are made from just a single plant-based distillate. It's like a hydrating mist, but are all natural with no fillers, alcohol, or additives. Basically, you just mix a couple of drops of oil in your hand and add in a spritz of the hydrosol, and you've got a really great clean moisturizer that sinks right into your skin made from just three pure ingredients. I love the founder Amanda's background because she comes from design and she created the line when she wanted to combine her minimal routine with a beautiful aesthetic. That's something that I can really appreciate as a founder myself. My timing is definitely limited. And so what I want is efficacy. (laughs) The packaging is beautiful. It feels genderless. They are frosted amber glass bottles and they just feel so nice to hold. Because all their products are thoughtfully and simply made, they are perfect for even the most sensitive skin types. Ember Wellness has an offer for you guys, of course. So visit emberwellness.com and use code DREAMBIGGER at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's E-M-B-E-R-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com and use code DREAMBIGGER for 15% off your first order. Enjoy. 
So as you guys know, starting a business is no easy feat. And I remember when we were starting Array, I was constantly looking into resources that I could learn from in order to be the best founder that I could be. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with the Millionaire University podcast. Starting your business shouldn't be just a dream or fantasy. It's something that anyone can do. And this podcast is actually called the Dream Bigger Podcast because I want to refer you guys to resources that you can use to make your dreams a reality. So while starting a business isn't easy, it isn't that hard either, which is what you'll learn from the Millionaire University podcast. I highly recommend this podcast no matter where you are in the process of starting your business. The Millionaire University podcast will teach you the ins and outs of running a successful business with concrete, actionable advice. The episode topics include six different ways to come up with your business idea, how to automate and scale your business, debunking the business fail myth, and so much more. So, you know, even if you're at the very early stages of even thinking of starting a business, this is such a good resource for you guys to turn to. So how is this different from any other business podcast? Well, the hosts, Justin and Tara Williams, have started multi-million dollar businesses themselves from the ground up. And if you guys know anything about me, you know I love to learn from other operators. They crack the code on how to make a successful business, and now they want to share that with you. So take the next step to earning seven figures with your business and listen to the Millionaire University podcast. New episodes drop Mondays and Thursday, and you can find the Millionaire University on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? I'm Sheena Shea. You may know me from nine seasons of Bravo's Vanderpump Rules, but I'm here to tell you about my podcast called Shenanigans. We talk about everything from reality TV, pop culture, relationships, parenting, and invite you to join the conversations with Q&A sessions where nothing is off the table. There's so much more I want to share with you. Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe to Shenanigans to stay up to date with new episodes every Friday. So we have the smoothie. Tell Mm -hmm. me about the egg dish. So, I mean, it depends on how much time you have in the morning. Like for someone that wants something grab and go, I love a frittata. It's a great way to like get in some veggies. Like maybe you make it on Sunday with like the veggies that need to be cooked. They're about to go bad or whatever it is. So you can make that in like a cast iron skillet. I like will cut a slice of that. It's like a crustless quiche and like eat it cold. (laughs) You can have it with a piece of toast with a little side salad. You can also make them in muffin tins. So when I do that, I try and make it so like there's one egg per, like I'll do 12 eggs in the mix. And then when you divvy it up, there's normally like 12 muffins in the muffin tin. So you'll know it's about one egg per tin. So, Mm -hmm. you know, two to three of those will be good. And that can also be a snack. So I love that. We do a lot of scrambled eggs in my house. Uh, We have breakfast for dinner a lot because I have a three and a half year old and he likes scrambled eggs and my husband and I both work full time. I love breakfast for dinner though. Honestly, that is a vibe. (laughs) Your son is onto something. Yeah. We make some toast. We make a big salad. Love. He'll have a little broccoli with his and yeah, it's delicious and it takes 15 minutes. Easy peasy. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that a lot of clients that you're seeing aren't actually getting enough protein. Mm -hmm. So funnily enough, I started working with a nutritionist as part of my gym and I had the same issue where she's like, your Mm -hmm. protein intake is just simply not high enough. So what are you seeing? And I know that this is like greatly kind of person to person, but what's like the range of what someone should be consuming in terms of protein? 
So the RDA, so, mm-hmm. you know, the dietary recommendation mm-hmm. is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So mm-hmm. you take your body weight, divide it by 2.2. I do not have a calculator. Otherwise, I would do a calculation for you guys. <laughs> and that would be your weight in kilograms. I find that that's way too low. Yeah. So I well. think, you know, that is like the bare minimum. So I always say at least one at least. So I find for most people somewhere between 20 to 30 grams of, and it also depends on their activity level. You know, it depends on a lot of things, but somewhere between like 20 to 30 grams per meal. And then maybe you're incorporating a snack that has about 10, 15 grams of protein. So that would average somewhere between, let's say like 75 and 100 and 510 grams of protein per day. Yeah. But I think people oftentimes don't realize three ounces of chicken, which is so small. When you go to a restaurant, the general serving size is six ounces, has like 24 grams of protein. I I know. Chicken is insane in terms of protein content. Once you prioritize it, it's not hard to get in. But I think a lot of times people are not thinking of it in that way. They're like, oh, I'm going to have a salad for lunch. And then they're hungry again 90 minutes later and they're eating chips. So one gauge that I kind of give people, if you're hungry, you should eat, full stop. But one like good way to check in with yourself is that if you eat a meal and you find that you are hungry again in less than three hours, then that's a good opportunity to check in with yourself and say, did I have enough in my meal? Did I get enough protein? Did I get enough fiber? Did I get healthy fats? Did I have too many carbohydrates? Like, what was the deal with my meal that didn't satisfy me? Or am I stressed? Am I tired? Am I bored? Or am I procrastinating? I don't want to send that email and I'm working from home. So I'm walking over to the kitchen. Just ask yourself why so that you can better understand what your hunger cues are. And I find with so many people, especially with smoothies, they're like, oh, smoothies don't fill me up. And then they make the smoothie my way. And they're like, wow, I can't believe I was like full for four hours. There's this term that I think of called hangxiety. Yeah. And that is oftentimes, that's like when you're so, the hunger comes out of nowhere and it's almost a shaky hunger. So you're in line to to order your healthy lunch and you grab a bag of chips and you're like eating the chips immediately. That's a sign of a blood sugar low. Maybe you waited too long to eat. Maybe your meal before that wasn't nutrient dense enough so that it's hard to then make the decision that you want. Like back to setting yourself up for success. It's hard to make the decision that you want to make mm-hmm. when you're tired, when your blood sugar's off, you know, when you're stressed. It just makes it more difficult. And then I think it just compounds the issues because then you're disappointed. So I want to talk about blood sugar control mm-hmm. because it's something that you're a fan of and I am too. And I feel like it wasn't mainstream enough up until like kind of recently, mm-hmm. I would say. What are some easy tips and tricks that you have for people to make sure that their blood sugar is kind of regulated throughout the day? Yeah, just prioritize protein in all of your meals. Okay, so it's like easy peasy. Yeah, really, really prioritize protein. And it's very interesting where the science is kind of shifting on health and especially when it comes to weight loss. There's so many benefits to blood sugar management beyond weight loss, but it's just interesting because we, you know, old diet culture is very much about calories in versus calories out. And you can even see that trend in workouts. It used to be like a lot of cardio, cardio, cardio. And now we're working towards more weight training and building muscle because that really helps 
with your blood sugar control. And it's, you know, so good for you for, you know, a multitude of other reasons. But what we're finding is that insulin is this key factor. And so what happens is that when you eat a meal that causes your blood sugar to rise, what happens is that some hormones are released. So cortisol, which is our stress hormone, is released. It's released every time that we eat, but it's released when we have a blood sugar high. Also, insulin is released. And insulin is a hormone that tells our body to store excess sugar. So there's three storage places for glucose, which is the, the sugar in our blood. So it can store it in your muscles as glycogen, which is why it's so great to build muscle mass because then you have this buffer for carbohydrates. You go out for like a fun meal, you eat more carbs than you normally would. Like who cares? You know, you're, you're, you're doing all the work in the gym and you've got this like extra muscle mm-hmm. mass and like your body can handle that. And then it can, you can store glucose in the liver and then any excess glucose will be converted into adipose tissue, which is fat. So that insulin control is, is really, really important. And also when you think about stress, there are four types of stressors. There is emotional stress is what we most often think of as stress, but there's also physical stress. So any sort of injury, illness, fatigue, pregnancy, these are all physical stressors. And then there are environmental stressors that we get from air, water, skincare products, you know, food toxins in the foods that we eat. And there are inherited stressors, which can be passed down through our DNA. So there's this term called your allostatic load, which refers to the cumulative burden of stress on your body. So if you imagine that your allostatic load is like a backpack and every stressor in your life is indicative of like represented by one book in your backpack, some of the books might be heavier than others. So if you have like a lot of work and life stress, emotional stress, or you're sick or something like that, those are going to make your backpack heavier. But if you are already weighed down by not sleeping well, by environmental toxins that you're exposed to through food, water, air, whatever it might be, your beauty products, or you know, if your blood sugar is dysregulated and that's causing your cortisol to spike at times during the day, you know, this is all gonna make that backpack a little bit heavier. So, you know, there's sometimes, you know, we live in a very stressful world. And so there's not always a lot, there's going to be emotional stress. We're gonna get you know, colds, you know, COVID obviously has been a huge thing over the past few years. But if we can remove some of those tiny books from our backpack, can really keep the load lighter and make it, it makes your body more resilient. It makes it easier for you to handle unexpected stressors or stressors that are just really unavoidable. So what do you recommend to kind of manage that stress piece? Is it like a daily meditation? Mm -hmm. If someone isn't into meditating, what the fuck do they do? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So your sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. And I think so much of our day is consumed in that sympathetic nervous system state. So whether it's, you know, we're late, (laughs) we're, you know, got an email that we don't like, you know, we turn on the news by accident, like whatever it might be. There's a lot of things that trigger that. If you're tired and just trying to like go through the motions, I think we don't value parasympathetic nervous system activation enough. So sure, it could be meditation. It could be like very simple breath work, you know, prioritizing your sleep, spending time in nature, you know, listening to music. Like there's so many things, yoga or doing restorative exercises. I always tell this story. I remember in my 20s in New York, I'm I have a very type A personality, so I I, I was a good fit for New York. But I remember I'd be in yoga and I was the one that was like wanting to do double chaturangas and like break a sweat. I really wanted to like make that 
hour count. And then at the end, it'd be Shavasana. And the yoga instructor would be saying, like, this is the most important pose. Blah, blah. And in my head, I'm like thinking of all the things I'm going to do. I'm like, whatever, you know, and I'm just like want to keep going, going, going. And now I really understand, like, of course, like you are you work hard and then you need that moment of rest and restoration so that your body can reap the benefits of the work that you did and really like take the time to heal and rebuild. And so that's where the, you know, parasympathetic nervous system activation is so important. And I think if you're busy and you're used to just being go, 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 that it can be really, you have to be very conscious about taking that time Mm -hmm. to rest and to understand that that also is productive. A hundred percent. I feel like you can't be on overdrive and really be productive forever. You know what I mean? Like it Mm -hmm. stops somewhere and that kind of, it can be burnout or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but at some point it's not even productive. Like that rest is incredibly important for you to continue to function at your optimal. Absolutely. Like how many stories do you hear of people or maybe you've experienced this yourself where you're go, go, go. And the second you go on vacation, you get sick. It used to happen to me all the time, like all the time. And it was because I know like my body finally like had enough time to just like enter. Yeah. You were running on fumes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's it. Boom. Yeah. I mean, I work with clients one-on-one a lot and it's, you know, I want to give them my all and my, you know, my my best attention and have solutions for them. And so I make sure to schedule, you know, 30, 45 minute gaps between clients. And I live near the beach and Mm -hmm. I can walk right up and down the hill, like take a look at the water, walk back. And then I feel really refreshed to, you know, give my all to the next client. Whereas I feel like if I was just seeing client after client after client, like I wouldn't be able to be there for them in the way that I would like to be. I love that. And I think it's a tip that most people can kind of apply in their own way. So like getting up and going for a walk between meetings, even if it is for five minutes, for Mm -hmm. me, that's like really helpful or like I think it really does kind of provide perspective because even if I've had like a really tough day and, you know, you just don't want to leave the couch on those days. But if I force Mm -hmm. myself to go out for like even five minutes, it helps so much. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'm a mom. A lot of my clients are moms. And I find that it can be very difficult because whether you are whether you work or you don't work, it just never stops. And I have a lot of women that I work with that you know, at five o'clock, their workday ends and then they're, you know, immediately transitioning into their second job. So, you know, one thing my husband's wonderful and one thing that we've had a lot of conversations about is that we both need to be able to have our time in order to be able to be fully present as a parent. So Mm -hmm. like my husband loves to like have a dip in the ocean. So sometimes I'm like, just go. Or like, you know, he has his mornings where he goes and works out and I have mine or he wants to be social with his friends. Like we really try and give each other that time so that we can, you know, be fully present. It's really important to, you know, do things for yourself. Yeah, I agree. Talk to me about coffee because mm-hmm. in this, like, I can't not bring up coffee when yeah. we're talking about stress and yeah. go, go, go. Are you a fan? Are you okay mm-hmm. with your clients having coffee in the morning? Is there something they can add to their coffee? Like, give me all your coffee yeah. tips. Okay. So coffee is the most studied drug on the planet. I find it really fascinating. It actually has quite a few health benefits, but it's very, very individual. So coffee is cortisol in a cup. So for someone who runs anxious, 
I think that coffee, especially on an empty stomach, is going to make them more anxious. Mm -hmm. We oftentimes are drawn towards the foods that least agree with us. Mm -hmm. And I find that to really be the case with caffeine. And so I, you know, my reset program, which is in my book, is a 21-day program. The point of it is not to be on a diet, but to really be introspective and take a break from foods that commonly trigger people and just eliminate it for 21 days while you're eating beautiful, delicious food and like sleeping well and taking really good care of yourself and then reevaluating what you want your relationship to be like with that food. So I do this every January and every January I've cut out coffee. And what I find that that has helped me with is that and with so many of my clients, maybe my one cup of coffee somehow turned into two or three. And I know that that is too many for me. So Mm -hmm. over the years, what I've discovered for myself is that I am one cup of coffee in the morning. I love it. I love the taste. I love the ritual. If that turns into two, it no longer feels good for me, but that's very individual to me. So this is what I love about an elimination. It's not about saying that this food or drink or whatever it is, is bad. It's just, okay, let's take a break and see how it affects how I feel without it. Try it again. See how I feel with it. The same for gluten or dairy or alcohol or sugar. It's like, let's just take a breather and then I can do some introspection to see what how what the what is the effect on me so I truly understand what I'm putting into my body and how that either helps me or hinders me. And like, what do I want my relationship with this thing to be moving forward? And I find with coffee, that's like a great thing to do. Also, we have to be careful about what we're putting into our coffee because it's very easy for coffee to turn into dessert. And that blood sugar bomb first thing in the morning Talk to me about what you like. What are the what are the main culprits when you're saying like watch what you're putting like a, into a it? latte is a lot of milk, especially like an oat latte. Like I know it's like literally yeah. a blood sugar spike mm, in a cup. It's yeah. crazy, and people don't realize they think they're doing something good, but you've taken all the fiber out of the oats. Yeah, I mean oats are just like high carbohydrate yeah. anyways, and so I think there's about 16 grams of carbs in eight ounces of oat milk, which yeah, like you know a bowl of pasta is like 40, 42. So, you know, a latte is normally 12 ounces. So you're going to have, you know, probably a little bit more, maybe eight or 10 ounces to two ounces of coffee. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But that's like a lot first thing in the morning. Then you put a little vanilla powder in there or some sugar, vanilla syrup, whatever in there, or some sugar. And like that's that's a lot of sugar to start your day with. And yeah, it like kind of puts you on this like blood sugar mm-hmm. roller coaster. You're going to crave right sugar after. all day. I cannot like, Virtually every client who comes to me says, oh, I just have a sweet tooth. And, you know, sugar is one of these interesting things. There's two ways to approach a sugar craving. Mm -hmm. One is like classic diet culture, like, you know, be disciplined, be good. So four o'clock rolls around. This is normally when you'd want sugar. And you're like, some days you're like trying really hard to be disciplined. And some days you're going to prevail and you're going to be like, woohoo, like I didn't have my sugar. And then some days you're going to cave and you're going to feel horrible about yourself. And you know, to me, I think both of those scenarios, whether like your discipline is, you know, I don't know, strong enough, your will is strong enough to avoid the sugar or whether you cave, both of those are stressful experiences, in my opinion. The approach I like to take is to nourish it. So let's focus on your sleep. Let's focus on having blood sugar balancing meals and not having vanilla oat lattes first thing in the morning. And then let's see how your, you know, like if, if your sugar cravings stay the same. And I've had so many clients who, when we have a check-in, I'll say, so how, how have your sugar cravings been? And they'll be like, 
oh, that's interesting. I guess I haven't been eating that much sugar. And what I love about that is that it's passive. It's it's really interesting that you say this because I notice it like I'm a pretty self-aware person, like having this be an interest in my life. Mm-hmm. But anytime I I'm like eating at home more, nourishing my body with like lots of vegetables, like high quality protein, all of a sudden, like I don't want dessert anymore. Yep. And when I'm in the habit of like really high stress, constantly ordering in like I know I'm just like not doing right by my body. Mm-hmm. At that time is when I want a dessert every single day. Like every single day without fail. And it is crazy when I noticed this for the first time. I think it was like in my 20s when I got interested in it. I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. this is like people live like this forever, not knowing. Yeah. And the sugar craving is like a symptom of something else almost. It is. Well, the more sugar and carbohydrates you eat, the more sugar and carbohydrates you're going to want, the more it's going to affect your sleep. You're going to be more stressed because you're having these blood sugar spikes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, there's a lot of different effects to it and it's highly addictive. Exactly. And so it would make sense. But so many people say to me like, oh, well, I just have a sweet tooth. It becomes a part of their identity. Totally, yeah. And it's interesting to me that that, well, like what you said, it's a symptom. And that doesn't mean that you can't have like, you know, share a dessert or have a dessert when you go out to eat or, you know, whatever it is. Like you can still enjoy these things. But I just don't want people, I want you to be able to choose the things that you want instead of, you know, what I always say to people, whether it's chocolate or a glass of wine or whatever, it's like, do you want this or do you feel like you need, need it? it? Exactly. That's the difference. Like, I like, want you to want it and yeah. not need it. One is like, I think, an actively choosing something because you like you want mm-hmm. it, but you can go without it if you need to. Yeah. The other is like, I need this thing so bad. Yeah. And I've been there with dessert. Like I used totally. to be one of these sweet tooth people and I become that person whenever I'm not taking care of myself holistically. So it's mm-hmm. just a very interesting cycle that happens. But it's very powerful to know that about yourself. And I think about this a lot, you know, as a nutritionist, like what's my role? What do people get from me? And like, what's the point? Why do people come to me? And I, you know, I really think that it comes down to joy and the enjoyment of your life. The goal for me is to not have people on these restrictive diets or to be afraid of certain foods, but to really understand where their line is as far as like where they feel their best and thrive and to understand what their boundaries are and also to be able to get more enjoyment out of things. Yeah. Yeah. I and, love that. and I think when you really understand your body, you understand nutrition, when you're really consistent in your routines and you feel confident in your food choices then if you go out to dinner and you are having, you know, go have fun. Like, you know, we have to experience life. You go to Italy, like, go for it. Like, get the gelato. Like, we have one life. Not everything you do has to be, like, so perfect. Mm -hmm. And even for me in my nutrition journey when I was in my 20s and really getting into it, like, I wouldn't eat any gluten or dairy at all. I was really rigid about it. And the more that I've discovered about my body and more that I've learned about nutrition, the less rigid I am. And I, you know… I went away with my husband this weekend and we massively indulged and it was so fun. And I was really excited to, you know, make a smoothie this morning. And that's great. Like, I, you know, there, there's no morality attached to it. It's like what makes you feel good? What makes you thrive? And what makes you enjoy these like experiences of life the most? And if you don't feel good, you're not going to enjoy it. 
I love that. So are you a fan of intermittent fasting? What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of intermittent fasting. And I think a lot of times people think that intermittent fasting needs to be like, okay, I'm not eating till 1 p.m. And really intermittent fasting starts at 12 hours. So Mm -hmm. I think with very few exceptions, most people should be leaving 12 hours between dinner and breakfast. Late night eating is really disruptive to your sleep. It's also like a really big factor in obesity. So what we, what I recommend and what we do at my house is like when dinner is over, you know, we wash the dishes, have a piece of chocolate if you want it. And then the kitchen's closed. That's it. Like there's no going back. Like we close the kitchen and then wait, you know, have, but if you finish dinner at 8 PM, then you have breakfast at 8 AM. It's not this Like you shouldn't be starving or feel deprived. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to push it a little bit from there, I think, and for some people's schedule, this doesn't work, but I would rather see an earlier dinner than a later breakfast or lunch. So if you can finish eating by 6 or 7 p.m., and it's really good to leave at least three hours between your last bite of food and going to sleep because we want to... We want to make sure that your body's able to go into rest and digest mode and get a good night's sleep and that you're not still digesting food. So, you know, let's say you finish eating dinner at 7 p.m. and the kitchen's closed and then you have breakfast at 9 a.m. That's a 14-hour fast. And I think that that's great. And some people might want to push that or play around with it. I think if you are really hungry and it it shouldn't feel unmanageable. Mm -hmm. I'd rather someone be consistently... 12 to 14 hours, then kill themselves over 16 hours. Are you good with coffee while someone is on their fast? So there's this like 50 calorie rule, and I think they call it like dirty fasting. Yeah. So coffee, black coffee has no calories. Uh You can put a little monk fruit or something in there. But and like a splash of any kind of milk shouldn't really take you out of your fasting. But I have found with some clients that get stuck that removing that helps. Interesting. But I think it's like a place to start. Like if you wake up at 6 a.m. and you really want to have your coffee first thing, you know, have it with a splash of milk if you want to and then have your breakfast at 8. So I saw on your Instagram a few weeks ago, there was something about Ozempic where you were like, Mm -hmm. I know that there's like a lot of conversation about it. And I think it was like a webinar or like a free resource Mm -hmm. resource that you're going to have. So I wanted to take like an opportunity to talk to you about it. Like, are you seeing more Ozempic use? What are your thoughts? Because, you know, you're a board certified nutritionist and I would just love to get your perspective on this. So here's the deal. Like, I just see people get unbelievable results through nutrition. And so I don't really like the idea of when we, I'm not a doctor, Mm -hmm. but when we classify obesity as a disease, I think part of what that's saying is that nutrition doesn't matter. And I think we can agree that the food quality in this country is horrific and we have some systemic issues that are really difficult. So I'm not anti-Ozempic, but I have clients who want to lose 20 pounds. You know, they're shopping at Erwan. You know, they have the means to buy good quality foods. And I don't think that they need Ozempic. I think that what we need to just focus on nutrition and we can get there. There, It's also not without side effects. Mm-hmm. So if we're using Ozempic for vanity purposes, not medicinal purposes, we have to recognize that, you know, I had three clients last year who had to get emergency gallbladder surgery and they were on Ozempic. I, the doctors in all three of those cases said that it was not from the Ozempic, 
But if you go on the Ozempic website, it literally like you don't even have to scroll down on the homepage. It says gallbladder issues as a side effect. And so I don't know, but that's just my own thought. I also think that medication is, you know, it does disrupt your gut. You know, with any medication that you take, there is a risk and there's a benefit. And there are times when the benefit outweighs the risk. And when the benefit outweighs the risk, then 100% you should take that medication. I'm not against taking medications. Like they are, it's amazing how technology is advanced and that we have access to these things. But sometimes I think that if we really focus on our nutrition and our lifestyle, then you won't need it. And it's better to not take it if you if there is a natural alternative, in my opinion. And so, you know, any sort of medication, you know, Ozempic, that's going to disrupt your gut. Over 95% of our serotonin is made in our gut. So if we're medicating, you know, 15-year-olds and we're giving them Ozempic, telling them that food does not matter and that they have to be on this very expensive shot for the rest of their life, like, I think that there's a high likelihood or that there's an increased risk of depression because there's going to be disruption in the gut. We're not producing these hormones in the way that we should be producing them, which are really important for our mental health. And I think it creates, I think that there's a real benefit. And then I think it does create a lot of issue. It can create a lot of issues. So what I, and I work with a lot of doctors, whether, you know, if it's a doctor wants a client to go on Ozempic what I would say to the doctor is give me three months. Let's see what kind of progress we can make with nutrition. And obviously the client patient needs to be on board with this too because they have to eat the food. And maybe they'll prove to themselves and to their doctor that they're able to, you know, lose weight, keep it off, create sustainable lifestyle habits. And then if you're not able to, whether it's Ozempic or another medication, whether it's statins or you know, insulin or whatever it is, if you try and you really give it your earnest and you're not able to get the results, then you can take the medication and feel good that you need it. If someone is like starting a new plan, right, they're seeing Mm -hmm. a nutritionist or like they're trying to make sustainable lifestyle changes or whatever, trying something new, would you say it takes about three months to start seeing a real difference? Yeah. Any like really drastic weight loss in a short, if, if the goal is weight loss in a short period of time, like you're also going to gain the weight quickly. Mm. We have to remember that our DNA is still based in a paleolithic era. So evolution is not caught up with technology. So it's actually a biological advantage to be able to retain weight and to store fat because there might be, you know, winter is coming and we might not have access to food. Obviously like in (laughs) much of modern society, that's not the issue. And so we have these biological mechanisms that allow our body to regain weight quickly when we've lost it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you remember The Biggest Loser, the New York Times did this huge expose a few years ago where they went to the contestants and they realized that all of them, I believe all of them, had gained all the weight back and then some. And so they really looked into the science and you know, what happens when you lose weight? I mean, and these people were put on really extreme calorie restrictive diets, exercising like crazy. And, you know, they got unbelievable results, but then they were just left to their own. I mean, you know, I mean, they weren't working during this. Anyway, so many things. So what happens when you lose weight is that your body has these mechanisms that it turns on to help you gain the weight back. So adipose tissue, which is fat, is what they're discovering is an endocrine organ. So that means that it stores and releases hormones. And one of the hormones that it has is leptin. 
which is one of our hunger hormones, and leptin makes us feel full. So when you lose adipose tissue, when you lose fat, then you feel less full. Mm. You have less circulating leptin in your bloodstream. On top of that, you have to think like your animal brain thinks, I need to get food. And so your pleasure reward center starts firing like crazy. Like if French fries were good to you before, they now are literally the most amazing thing ever. So you're so attracted to these foods and your total daily energy expenditure goes down, which means that your cal- the calories that you burn per day, this is your body just like preparing to gain the weight back when food becomes available again. So this is why when people go on a diet, they'll get great results. But then the second it ends, they all of a sudden are gaining all the weight back and then some. So this is just classic yo-yo dieting. And it happens, I mean, virtually all of my clients who come to me have experienced some level of this. And what I have found in my practice It's perfectly acceptable to want to feel good in your body. I want everyone to feel confident and sexy in their clothes and feel good about themselves. But if you're getting to that goal through restriction, sacrifice, not, you know, having to be disciplined all the time, then you're not going to feel that great when you get to that goal. Mm -hmm. It's not really about a number on the scale, in my opinion. It's a feeling in here. We are very, I think that we like to quantify things as like just part of our culture and maybe, I don't know, human race. And so we love to think like, this is the number that I need to be. But what I find in so many clients is like when we are really aligning their mental, physical, and emotional health, they'll step on the scale and they'll be like, oh, like I got partway there, but actually I feel amazing. And I don't really care. Like this is a good weight for me. I'm like over what the scale says because my anxiety is reduced. I feel happier. I feel really confident. I feel good in my clothes. I love the food that I'm eating. Like this feels good to me. I found my sweet spot. Instead of being like, okay, I've got like 10 days. I'm going to go on this really strict diet. And then, you know, we're going to Cabo. And then I'm going to be like skinny in my bathing suit. And then you get there and, you know, you're just so excited for the chips. And it's the whole thing, I think it's just negative and doesn't feel good. And there, it. I think like this desire to look a certain way, you know, we attribute, okay, well, when I get to that number and I look this way, then these things are going to happen to me. These opportunities are going to come up or this is going to happen. And I think oftentimes people are disappointed because it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's much better. You know, I think that weight loss is a perfectly acceptable goal, but it's a really terrible motivator. It's very difficult to make decisions for your future self. And so we have to have other markers and other motivating factors. I think that truly, like I'm a nutritionist, I'm not a weight loss coach. Like for me, it's all about health. Mm -hmm. Like you can be really healthy and not have a six pack. Like six pack is not like a determinant factor of health. And so, I mean, it's wonderful if you have one, if that's your body type or something that you've worked towards, I'm all for it. But that doesn't mean that you're like healthier than someone who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that when we really put health into the equation, so which is very, your physical and your mental health are really connected. Like totally, how are you sleeping? Like, what are your anxiety levels like? Like, how stressed are you feeling? Like, what are your energy levels? Like, what are all of these things? How's your digestion? Like your skin, there's all these other markers that I think are much more indicative of your overall health rather than like, this is the number that I am on the scale. I love that. What a great takeaway. So the last question is actually from a listener and I wanted to leave this open for her because I think it's a good one. So what she asked is how do you use diet to manage hormonal breakouts after birth control? Can you? 
Very specific. Yeah. So the way that I think of hormones is like a, first of all, I'd get your hormones checked Mm -hmm. because, you know, what's happening to her specifically might need a specific solution. Mm -hmm. So I run Dutch tests on most of my clients. And so we can see, you know, if your androgens are high, there's like natural supplements and foods and things that we can do to help tame that, which can be helpful. So definitely recommend nutritionist or a functional medicine doctor that can run a Dutch test, which I do with all my clients. And so most of my clients. And so that's one place to start. But also the way that I think about your hormones, it's like a body of water. So if one hormone is disrupted, like it's going to create, like the water's going to be a little rocky. So for women, we have hormonal fluctuations that men do not have. So we have a monthly cycle, we get pregnant, we go through menopause. And so if the water is already a little bit rocky and then you get your period, it's like a tsunami and it can be really affect people. Or if you've been on, you know, hormonal birth control and then you go off, like this could be how your hormones naturally are and you've been masking it for many years. So there are definitely, I think, getting your hormones checked for women over the age of 35, I think getting your hormones checked every year or every two years can be helpful because menopause is a slow build. It's not like one day it just happens. And, you know, I have clients, so many clients who are going through, you know, fertility journeys, they're pregnant, they're postpartum, they're going through menopause. And I think that women are often told that there is like an expiration date on you know, our youth and our hotness and all of these things because of these like hormonal events. And I just like call absolute bullshit to that because I have clients that are, you know, just thriving in all stages of their life, feeling great in their bodies, eating foods that they love, you know, doing all of these things. So I think it's really important to, you know, get your hormones checked, make sure that you're supplementing appropriately, Like, don't just take something because your friend had so individual, you know, get it checked and take something that's individual to you and sleep, eat well, all of those things. You know, you think about like what I was saying, how, you know, your blood sugar will spike your cortisol and your insulin. Like there's two hormones right there. Like if we can balance your blood sugar levels, that's going to help balance your hormones. So it's all connected. I love that advice. Mia, this has been awesome. Tell everyone where they can find you, your book. Tell us everything. You can visit my website, miarigdon.com. Foodwise is available where all books are sold. Or you can find me on Instagram, Mia underscore Rigdon. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday. So come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.